0: Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bookshop Podcast. I'm Mandy Jackson Beverly. Join me as I chat with guests about topics dear to my heart the humanities and our environment. Ellen Detlow has been editing science fiction, fantasy, and horror short fiction for over 35 years as fiction editor of Omni Magazine and editor of Event Horizon and Sci-Fiction. She currently acquires short fiction for Tor.com. In addition, she has edited more than 100 science fiction, fantasy, and horror anthologies. Her latest book, Body Shocks, Extreme Tales of Body Horror, is set for release October 19, 2021, with Tachyon Publications. Hi, Ellen, and welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Thank you for being here. I know you've been busy editing. Now, you've been editing manuscripts for over 35 years. When did you decide that editing was a craft you wanted to learn, and how did you land in the industry?
1: Well, that's kind of complicated. I graduated as an English lit major. I had no idea what I was going to do for a living. I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, My mom was a teacher, and she said you can go into teaching. It's like nope. And um, I knew you know, and I loved reading. So the things, the possibilities of a librarian or working in a bookshop and or publishing. And I knew nothing about any of those. I mean, I knew nothing about publishing. But um, at some point, I decided, okay, I'm going to get into publishing. But I think people don't know what editing is until they actually start doing it. My first jobs were in uh, what mainstream book publishing. Um, and my first uh, publishing job was at Little Brown and Company in New York, but most editing you learn on the job. Um, I've always been interested in science fiction, fantasy and horror when I decided that, oh, maybe I can be an editor. I took some publishing courses I mean, at NYU, I think, in Columbia, um, just like, you know, night courses, just with lectures. And various people would come in telling you what each part of the industry did, like publishers publicist came in, marketing editor came in, um, sub rights person. So, you know, I learned a little bit of what all that was and I knew I wanted to be an editor. So basically, I worked my way up. I mean, I worked in book publishing for about five years, getting nowhere slowly. And my first magazine job was with Omni Magazine as associate fiction editor. Um, So that's basically, you know, that's a real streamlined view of how I got to be an editor and a magazine editor of short fiction. Mostly I edit short stories.
0: And does your work cover all forms of editing, meaning developmental, also known as substantive or comprehensive editing, or do you work in line editing or copy and proof? Or do you specialize in one particular form of editing as an acquisitions editor?
1: Um, we don't call it developmental in tra- in, you know in, in fiction publishing. Um, it's basically acquisitions and substantive editing and line editing. So it's a combination. you know, I acquire a store. I mean, unless I'm doing a reprint anthology, if I'm doing a reprint anthology, um, I don't have to edit those stories. They're already edited. Mm-hmm. So basically, I do everything. I don't copy edit. I mean, I expect my, the copy editor to pick up anything that the, the, uh, the author I missed.
0: And you work specifically with sci-fi, fantasy, and horror genres. What is it about these genres that intrigues you?
1: The weirdness of it. I mean, I realized, I mean, I used to read all kinds of things. I mean, I, I was a voracious reader growing up. I read historical romance or historical pot boilers, Harold Robbins, Irving Stone. I read everything, Um, but I realized after a certain point that I really most enjoyed material that had, that verged on the fantastic or the horrific. And that became what I was more interested in over time. And then of course, starting to edit the year's best fantasy and horror, and then best horror of the year, I mostly concentrated on horror in my reading. Although in Odd Omni, I mean, I've published a lot of science fiction stories and some, you know, several science fiction anthologies over the years. But I like the idea of the the imagination. I just don't... Well, a funny anecdote is I love John Fowles. I love The Collector. I love The French Lieutenant's Woman. And I love The Magus. And then he wrote, I think he wrote Daniel Martin. And throughout the whole book, I'm like, where's the fantastic? Where's the weirdness? It's really boring. And he basically lost me for a few years. It's like, no, I don't want to read that. I don't want to read this realistic stuff. I mean, you know, obviously any story has to be realistic in a certain sense. But I just got it's like, no, I don't want to read that. I just became more interested in the fantastical in all ways. And I mean, in horror, I love psychological horror, too. So it's the grotesque and the psychological and fantasy. I prefer urban fantasy. I'm not really that much into historical fantasy or epic fantasy.
0: I'd like to take a moment just to look at some of the awards you've won, and this is just a partial list. Multiple World Fantasy Awards, Hugo Awards, Stoker Awards, International Horror Guild Awards, Shirley Jackson Awards, and the 2012 Il Posto Nero Black Spot Award for Excellence as Best Foreign Editor. You were also named the recipient of the 2007 Carl Edward Wagner Award for Outstanding Contribution to the Genre, and was honored with the Life Achievement Award by the Horror Writers Association in acknowledgement of superior achievement over an entire career, and honored with the World Fantasy Life Achievement Award at the 2014 World Fantasy Convention. So, is there a single book you've edited that holds a special place in your heart?
1: There are a lot. I mean, there are several. I mean, I, I actually prefer, mostly I prefer to edit non-themed anthologies, but those are the ones that do the worst as far as selling. Um, I mean, my favorite, some of my favorite unthemed anthologies that I've edited with Fearful Symmetries, um, Inferno, Salon Fantastique with Terry Windling, which were the fantasy anthology that was non-themed. Those are the ones I actually prefer in a way because you're wide open, but they don't sell as well. So that's why I usually edit theme anthologies. That's why most editors do theme anthologies because it's very, very hard to sell non-theme anthologies.
0: And you've edited over a hundred anthologies. So can you explain what is involved with gathering stories for an anthology and what your job entails? And are you hired by publishing companies to put these together?
1: Yes, (laughs) for the latter, um, I, I will do a proposal or the publisher will approach me and my editor, my sorry, my agent negotiates and I have a book and I give it in advance and I acquire all the fiction for it. Now, if it's a reprint anthology, they said I don't edit any of it, but I, for Body Shocks, which is most, the uh, which is coming out in the fall, that's um, body horror. And I, it's all reprint, which means I picked stories that I was aware of. I just automatically knew, okay, here are some stories that I want to start with. That I really love that are body horror that I consider body horror. And then I would go to writers whose work I like and who I think have done body horror to say, okay, I'm doing a book on body horror. Do you have any stories? So those I don't edit, but I have to pick. I mean, I must have gotten in about a hundred, I forget how many stories that I went through and I picked the ones that I thought were the best for the book. For an original anthology. I'll solicit stories from writers who I've worked with mostly or writers who I whose work I love, even if I haven't published them before. I will ask them, you know, I will say, here's how much I'm paying. The book, stories do this. This is the theme. I would really like a story by you. you know, I'd love like to see a story by you. And then if, you know, if they say yes, um, I'll give them a deadline over time. I will push them if I don't, usually I start getting stories in before the deadline, hopefully. I mean, hopefully over the next few months, I'll usually have about 10 months to acquire all the fiction. And um, so I'll choose, I'll decide which ones I want and which ones I don't. When I read a story for acquisitions, I'll read it and say, oh yeah, I really like that. And then I may reread it and say, I have some notes for you, for the author. Um, I'm going to take this, but I need a revision before I just commit to it. And even after that, that's not the final edit. That's just a, you know, that's as I'm reading. uh, The final edit comes when, the final line edit comes when, about a few months before I have to hand in the book, I'll start line editing each story. And that means a line-by-line go-through of each story with the authors. So, mm
0: -hmm.
1: when I'm commissioned to do an anthology, I'm given a word length. So I know, okay, there's going to be 100,000 words, it's going to be about 120,000 words And I will have a limit. And when I pay people, I pay by the word. And what I'll usually do is say I'll pay, you know, eight cents a word up to 8,500 words. And that means if you write anything more, you don't get paid more. The top limit is this amount. And everyone gets paid the same. I don't care if you're a famous writer or not. You know, no one gets paid extra. And the best horror of the year is all reprints. I'm only reprinting stories that were published the year that I'm reading it. Like right now, I just finished The Best Horror of the Year, number 13, and those cover that covers 2020. You know, so I was reading stories and novels and nonfiction and everything that was published in 2020. If it's not in that year, I'm not interested. I don't have time to read it. You know, so that's what I was reading for. And now I'm reading for 2021.
0: And for our listeners who may not be in the book world, because this is a Wednesday episode, can you please define the terms reprint and original?
1: A reprint anthology is an anthology that is all stories that were published someplace else. And those are not edited because, by me because they were already edited by whoever published them. And an original anthology, sometimes they're mixed. I mean, I've done mixed anthologies. My first anthologies were half original, half reprint. Blood is not enough for alien and sex were both. I picked stories that I thought fit the theme. It was when I was working at Omni magazine and I had to turn down certain stories. And so I picked those, those stories really I loved them, so I wanted to use them for something, so I used those as like the germ you know, this, this, the base of what I started from, and then half the end those stories was solicited. You know, so you can do a half and half, or you can do, occasionally I've edited a reprint anthology with, and used one or two originals. Usually it's all reprint or all original. I
0: mean, you know, it just depends. And you have a book coming out soon with Tachyon Publications, right?
1: Yes, I I just, uh, that's uh, coming out. Uh, Body Shocks is the one about extreme body horror, and that's all reprints. It's coming out in, um, I think,
0: I can't remember, September, October. I think it's October. October 19th. I also have
1: other books coming out this year. (laughs) I have a Shirley Jackson anthology coming out in September, When Things Get Dark, which is stories inspired by Shirley Jackson, and that's all original, and um, it's coming out from Titan in September.
0: And I'll make sure to put links to all of these books in the show notes. And as well as being an editor, your co-host of the fantasy fiction reading series at KGB Bar. What is this and how did it come to be? Well, um, it started,
1: KGB Bar as a bar that was like a socialist club. It started as a club and then it was in the, I don't know, 40s, probably the 50s. And then it was bought by... Um, the person, Dennis Wojcik, and a, par- a silent partner bought it. And it's a building, it's ancient building, totally down, no fire code. I mean, it's got, you know, it's terrible. But um, there's a crane, something called the Crane Theater, K-R-A-I-N-E. And the name actually came from that. I think it came from the Crane Bar. I don't remember what the KGB actually stands for. There's a history on the website for the actual KGB bar, KGB. First, it was run by Alice Turner and... Um, Terry Bisson, Alice used to work for Playboy and was fiction editor for Playboy. So she had a lot of mainstream connections. So initially it was to combine, you know, mainstream writers and writers of fantastic or science fiction to show that they were both, you know, everyone was plowing the same fields, basically. Um, And then Alice left Playboy and she gave up the co-hosting of KGB and I became the co-host with Terry Bisson. Um, That was around 2000, I think. Terry moved to California. We, We brought in I brought in Gavin Grant. And at the time he lived in Brooklyn. And then he moved with Kelly Link, his wife, to Northampton, Massachusetts. And for a few months, he actually still came in. But it was like, you know, three hours. So he gave that up. And that's when I brought in Matt Kressel. And Matt and I have been doing it for a long time now. So that's how, it, yeah, and it was quite fantastic fiction at KGB. Now, KGB Bar has readings almost every day of the week in events. I mean, they have nonfiction readings, poetry, um, all kinds of events. And they also have an upstairs that's kind of like a speakeasy now, which opened a few years ago. And they still have, well, when, when it's open before, pre-pandemic and hopefully post, the Crane Theater has some theater. It was a very small theater. So, yeah, but we've been doing virtually, virtual KGB Um over a year now, since like last March or February, I forget.
0: And what's the format of the show
1: that you're involved with? The, we have two readers. We always have two readers. We try to get someone who's fairly well known and someone who's newer, possibly. And uh, each reader reads like 20 minutes. In person, we do it about 20 minutes, and in, in virtually, we do about we give them about 25 minutes. And basically in between each reader, you have 15 at the bar itself, you have a 15, 20 minute break. So people can buy liquor or buy whatever they want. And, you know, because we don't get we don't pay the bar for the use of the premises. But people need to drink, you know, to pay their way in a way, you know. Um, so and we only started doing the Q&A and the virtual KGB. But we, we it's been working so well that we may do a Q&A a little bit um, when we go back. person. Not only that, but we're thinking of how could we could live stream it, possibly, even though probably not video, but at least audio from the actual readings.
0: Another reason to love technology. Yes. I'm a fan of radio. I think nothing beats a good story told well on air. It's wonderful. And being able to listen to virtual events on a global scale is great.
1: Well, doing the virtual readings, uh, once we ha- we scheduled way far in advance. So the first several months were people who were already scheduled. But um, once we realized the pandemic was going to be long-term, we've started getting, trying to get people from around the world, readers from around the world, uh, just so we, because we can't do it otherwise. You know, usually in person, people can't come from another country unless they happen to be coming to town anyway. So it's been a real boon to foreign readers, foreign authors, and to our listeners, because they can go, um, you know, they can be there live with us when they couldn't be, they could listen to the podcast after the fact, but they couldn't be with us because they were living in England or something or India or wherever. So it's been really interesting. And um, I'm hoping we can continue at least with the Q and A's, you know, we can do certain things.
0: Well, keep me posted, and I'll also put that link in the show notes too. Now, what is one book you'd like to see more people reading?
1: It's a big question. I have no idea. I don't know. Um, there are people whose work everyone should read. I mean, who I read. I have a favorite writers, and some of, most of them have become friends, who I will recommend, and I'll read them even if they're not in my field. I mean, I'm supposed to be reading horror all year. Because that's what I'm working on, my best horror of the year. But I'll always read William Gibson's novels. I mean, his Peripheral and um, Agency, I think, were brilliant. But you know, he's—I don't know if he's a bestseller, but he sells. The people are aware of him, but he's terrific. I mean, he's—he's he's writing about where we are, and he, in two seconds away. In fact. The future is always catching up with him, he says. I mean, he didn't say in those words, but basically that's what's going on. Uh, Elizabeth Hand writes fabulous novels and short stories. She's been writing a series of crime novels with a character called Cass Neary, who's a former punk and a real deadbeat, basically. Um, Really great character, and it should be made into a movie or TV series. Um, Her most recent one in that series is Book of Lamps and... Lamps and Banners and Jonathan Carroll, Yeah, Jonathan's one of my favorite writers. I've worked with him. He hasn't gotten an American sale for his most recent novel. He's very popular in Poland. He lives in uh, Vienna and he's a terrific writer. So those are people who I go to who I recommend all the time and who I'll read no matter whether their work is appropriate to what I'm reading for or not. I don't care.
0: (laughs) I interviewed Bruce Sterling a while back and he spoke highly of William Gibson too. Oh yeah, they're good friends. Ellen, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today and taking the time. I'm sure you are exhausted after all your deadlines and probably can't wait to take a nap.
1: (laughs) Actually, I'm going to, I may vacuum for the first time in a month. (laughs) What do I have to do? What can I do? I can wash my floor. Maybe not today, but in the next few days. I'm so excited. Yes. Get rid of the dust bunnies.
0: (laughs) Isn't it crazy how when you're working on a project... You just have to knuckle down and everything just kind of fades away that's around you. You have to entirely pull your focus into the project for months.
1: (laughs) You do. I mean, I said I can't do anything. I'm not going out. And it's like I haven't been out in two days because I have to get this out, have to finish this. And I just want to go outside. For I'm going to go outside to the bank. And then probably tomorrow I will vacuum. (laughs) And I moved into a new apartment in early December and I'm still – There were still little things that I'm unpacking because I just got some more places to put things, like another few shelves and things. So I'm taking out, I'll be taking things out of more bags and uh, putting them around the house. Are you in New York? Yes, in Manhattan.
0: Where are you? I'm in Southern California, just inland from Ventura, down a little south from Santa Barbara. I know approximately. You sound Australian. I am. Originally, yes, from Australia. And I lived in London for a couple of years, and then in Los Angeles for many years. And then we moved up here. Oh, wow.
1: But you still have your accent a little.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Where were you from in Australia? I was born in a tiny little town in Victoria called Pyramid Hill. And then my parents moved to Tasmania. We lived in the northern part of the island. And I lived in Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide before moving to London in eighty-two.
1: Yeah. No, I've been to Australia several times and I'm hoping it, I wanted to go back for um, the World DS1. I'm sorry, the uh, NatCon this year, but I don't know if it's September or October and I'm not sure it's dicey.
0: Yes. And sadly, I think it's going to be this way for quite a while. Ellen, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you have a busy, busy schedule. It's been lovely chatting with you.
1: It's been wonderful. Thank you.
0: Make sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at The Bookshop Podcast. To learn more about upcoming speaking engagements, my books, and my art of observing workshops, go to my website at mandyjacksonbeverly.com. You can sign up for my newsletter or contact me directly at mandy at cricketpublishing.org and follow me on social media at mandyjacksonbeverley. Read global, buy local, support your local indie bookshop.